You're listening to Philippians, a Sunday school series taught by Andrew McComb at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. So last week, we walked through kind of a big picture look at the book of Philippians. We actually spent most of our time not in the book of Philippians. Uh, We walked through the purpose of the book. We looked at some of the historical context surrounding the book. We looked at the account of the church being formed in the book of Acts, and that was really where we kind of sat and spent a lot of our time. And as well, we looked at some of the, just the larger main themes of the book. We discussed the nature of Paul's circumstances at the time of writing Philippians. And we discussed that, that knowing that he was in prison, uh, that he is obviously not in really an ideal situation, and yet he can write the book of Philippians and just have such an obvious exuberance of joy throughout it was, was an amazing lesson to us, I think, even just looking at that. The joy that he found despite his chains is remarkable. Uh, we defined what the word fellowship means. We talked a little bit about how in our day and age, the word fellowship is kind of a slippery term, right? We think of fellowship as uh, coffee and Timbits or coffee in those little like sandwiches that you get kind of at like a social, right? Like that's what fellowship is to us. And yet we actually defined that fellowship is, is simply in its most basic form, having something in common, right? We touched on how the world can have fellowship together, but then we made an important point that that Christian fellowship is something that is way more than that, right? The, the fellowship that Christians enjoy, having the common thing that they're together for the gospel in Christ, it really, um, it, it really just kind of transcends anything that the world can understand about fellowship. Um, we talked about how the Apostle Paul's joy, the reason that he had the joy that he was writing with, even despite the fact that he was in chains, was because of the fellowship that he had with the group of believers in Philippi. He just had such a close connection with them that when he thought of them, he couldn't help but but be joyful. And that just overflowed in his writing. We looked at some of the main themes. Obviously, one of those is, is joy. Philippians is a joyful book. It's an encouraging book. We looked at uh, another theme of Philippians, which is maturity in Christ. Right, The Philippians were making progress in their faith, but Paul was really admonishing them to, to not stay still, to look forward and to, and to try and pursue and progress in their faith. And then right at the end, and certainly it's something we're going to spend a lot more time on as we progress through Philippians, uh, a, a major theme of the book of Philippians is, is Christ, right? The, the word, the noun Christ is mentioned more than any other noun in the book. It's, Philippians is centered around Jesus Christ. Today we'll be getting back and or going back and, and starting again. We're going to hit the reset button and start again in verse 1. Uh, I said that as we go through this study in Philippians, we'll be going through it expositionally, right? Kind of verse by verse as, as we work our way through the book. Um, with a really good benefit, I think, in a Sunday school setting of discussion. Because as we saw last week, I think last week is a great example, there's a lot of good discussion that you can have around some of these, these main points, main themes in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Philippians. I'll give you a moment to do that, and we'll start reading in verse 1. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, 
the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think of you all this, to, th- to think this of you all, sorry, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Verse 8. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus, Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. So that's the first 11 verses of the book of Philippians. Now let's just kind of work through it, uh, starting at the beginning. Now, I don't know about you when you sit down and you, you start a book of the Bible, you start to read, you, you have your own personal devotion time, and I pray that, that that is something that you do every day. But when I sit down and read, I've, often I'll start a book like Philippians and I'll be thinking ahead to kind of like the highlights that I'm going to read through in the book of Philippians. And in doing so, I'll completely skip over the first two to three verses. Right? My mind is, is going immediately to what is going to be throughout the book, right? You think of like the, the key verses that I know from the book of Philippians or the key, maybe the key ideas, the key themes. And yet, all of a sudden, when I kind of check back in after those thoughts are done, I'm already in verse 3 or 4 and the, the introduction is completely gone. I am convicted, and I, I think you should be too, that, that we should not do that, right? The introduction is important. The Spirit of God has worked to place those words exactly there. We should pay attention to them. They're there for a purpose. They have meaning. So let me show you what I mean in the start of the book of Philippians. So, verse 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, note here that Paul does not identify himself as an apostle in this greeting. In this opening. That is actually kind of curious. He identifies himself along with Timothy as servants of Christ, right? And the interesting part about that is that if you look at his other New Testament books, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, not all of them, but the majority of them, he actually introduces himself as Paul the Apostle, right? Now, why do you think that he would actually need to do that in those particular, particular books? Pastor? They may not have known him personally. Okay. Establishing his authority to tell them what he's telling them. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Yep. Any other any other thoughts on that one? Also, okay. I understand a lot of the Judaizers were telling them that because he wasn't there yeah. with Christ himself, that uh, he wasn't a fool. Yeah, that's right. That's that's exactly right. So you have you have division, right? You have you have arguments being made. 
uh, against him, and he's having to, or or they maybe don't know him, he's having to actually like establish his his authority as an apostle. So he doesn't do that in the book of Philippians. Why do we think that maybe is? Right? We kind of looked at the big picture of the, the book last week. He doesn't actually identify himself as an apostle. Why do you think that, that is, Dan? Because they didn't struggle with that. They just yeah. yeah, right? When the, the church in Philippi thought of the apostle Paul, it was with just as much joy that Paul had when he thought of them in, in writing to them, right? And as we go through the, the first 11 verses here, when we get to verse 3, 4, and 5, I believe, we're going to kind of walk back through some of the, the reason for that joy. But when, when they thought of him, it wasn't like, well, should we maybe listen to this Paul character? Or, you know, these, these other people are telling us this, this other thing. There actually weren't that many Jews to be kind of swaying them the other way in Philippi. But they didn't think of him as, okay, maybe this is something that we should listen to because Paul is saying it. it's like, no, Paul is, I mean, he was the, the God used him to, to, form this church, right? The foundation of this church was the Apostle Paul coming upon Lydia and the, the group of devout women by the, the river fearing God. And, and we, need to, we need to listen to him, right? He's guiding us. He, he knows what's best for us. So there's kind of that, that sweet um, uh, idea of, of trust. Um, and and we are going to follow the leadership of what Paul is asking us to do. Um, Again, for the most part in the book of Philippians, we find a church that's, that's doing well, right? There's a, a small mention of, of false teachers in, in chapter 3, but overall the Philippians are progressing in their faith. The idea of, um, if you look back at 1 and 2, again, he doesn't um, use the word apostle. He used the word servant, right? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. We see the, the idea of servanthood weaved all throughout the book of Philippians, right? We see it, I mean, in verse... One, and then we really kind of see the, the the next large mention of servanthood, or really the the main mention of servanthood in the book of Philippians, uh, is the hymn of Christ. Right? We read through, and I'm I'm really excited to get to that point, or where we're not going to skip to that point. Um, the idea of of servanthood is just so beautifully summed up in the hymn of Christ that we will see in chapter two. Right? That that Christ being equal with God humbled himself to the point of of death on a cross. Right? I mean, there's just so much rich theology packed in that statement and the ideas surrounding it is servanthood. Immediately, Paul is outlining the Philippians what it means to be mature believers, right? The idea of servanthood is directly tied in with being a mature believer in Christ. Um, I pray that this would be a desire for our church as well, right? We mentioned last week that that um, predominantly the the group of believers that we get at this hour in Sunday school to listen to whoever is speaking is really the, the core of the church, right? The people that are excited about progressing in their faith. And I pray that that, that would be something that we would be, we would be caring about as well, right? Is that, that we're growing in maturity, that we're not getting to a point, okay, I can hit cruise control, I, I got this, but that we would be always trying to grow in our faith, right? You think of 1 Corinthians 3.2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it neither yet are ye able, right? I pray that that would not be 
that, that, that would not be us, right? That we wouldn't always have to be just kind of getting the, the very first little tidbits of, of spiritual milk, but that we would be able to progress through that. Certainly not forgetting those, because those are important, but that we'd be able to progress and really be able to digest some more um, mature spiritual meat, like really the, the more complex ideas of, of the, the faith. Yep. And if you get that, you can't help but serve. That's, yes. It's not like I grow up yep. where I don't serve. Mm-hmm. Like I have to serve because following Christ means I have to serve other people. Yeah. Once I come to the, the greater knowledge of some of the complex ideas, it just overflows in service, right? Absolutely. Yeah, good point. So verse 3 to 5. Verse 3 to 5, we're going to look back at kind of what we, we talked a little bit in length about last week, but I think, again, it's important as we move through verse 1 to 11 to, to hit on these. So verse 3 to 5, I think I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. We spoke in length about Paul, why Paul was so joyful when he thought of the church in Philippi. Right? We started with the uh, encounter with Lydia. Right, Paul and Timothy go into uh, the, the city and there's no synagogue to actually go into to speak to the Jews. So they're there for a couple days and they come out uh, outside the city and there's a group of devout women that are fearing God, worshiping God, but they don't have the full picture. Right? Can you imagine from Lydia's perspective, right? Try and place yourself in the story. Can you imagine from Lydia's perspective the joy that she would have thinking about Paul as the person that brought the full knowledge of who Jesus Christ was to her to complete her understanding of what her faith was, right? Imagine how exciting that would be. Right? We hear about that every Sunday, every Wednesday, every whatever night you have your small group. We hear about Christ. And yet Lydia is, is fearing God. She, they're, they're worshiping God. And then all of a sudden it's like, let me explain to you the full picture. You know how beautiful that would be? It's, it's an amazing thing. We then immediately hear of the slave girl, right? We, we talked a little bit about how Satan, right? Progression of faith, first church in Europe, progression of faith. Satan immediately attacks with the idea of this, this slave girl, right? She was possessed. She was making lots of money for her masters. And Paul immediately um, calls upon the name of Jesus Christ and, and rids this girl of this possession that she has, um, it's really a dramatic story from start to finish in the founding of the church of, of Philippi. We then hear the Philippian jailer, right? The, the idea that Paul and, and uh, Paul and Timothy are, are beaten. They're, they're, Paul's thrown, they're thrown in jail. They're put in stocks. Um, it's not going well for them. Philippian jailer is, is essentially charged with his life to guard them. The, the, massive, the, the earthquake happens. The chains are loosed. Uh, immediately he draws his sword because he assumes, like he should, that the, <laughs> that the captives are going to be free, uh, and they're not, right? All night they were actually singing hymns of praise while in stocks. I still have a trouble uh, b- believing that, right? I can't imagine how much I would be grumbling in that situation, and yet they're singing hymns and praises to, to Christ. Their chains are loosed, and the Philippian jailer realizes that they do not escape, and as the text says, sirs, what must I do to, to be saved, right? Again, can you imagine the connection there? Later on, it, it talks about how he was actually cleaning their, their stripes, right? Their wounds that were on their back, and then he and his household were, were baptized, right? Again, you think of the, the intimate connections that were being formed throughout Paul being in Philippi and this church being formed. Paul is, is absolutely joyful when he thinks of them. Let's move on to verse 6. 
being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is merciful and gracious to sanctify us. Uh, we were speaking in our small group uh, this past week about just how a great um, evidence of the faith and salvation that we have, sanctification is, right? That I can look at who I once was and the, the rotten sinner that I once was, certainly not that I'm, I'm clean now, but I can look at the, the progression that <laughs> only God could have brought me through and what great evidence of the, the faith and, and the salvation that we have. I love the analogy of, of um, a parent and a child, right? So often when I'm parenting my kids and I'm getting frustrated with them, I think of then God actually parenting me and, and, and just I'm so humbled by that picture. So many um, parents today, uh, whether they are conscious of it or not, are just leaving their children alone, right? They're not, they're not parenting. There's no discipline. There's no instruction, Right, just let little Johnny and Susie find their own way. Own way, they'll be okay. And in fact, some are even going to the point where I, I'm, I'm not going to impose my instruction and, and belief on them because they need to figure that out for themselves. And I'm actually neglecting them if if I were to to do that, which is just insanity. Right? Let them discover things on their own. Let them develop their own way of living, their own behavior, their own habits, their own customs. They'll be fine. There's one massive problem with that picture: is that little Johnny and Susie are however cute they are, are absolutely rotten little sinners. I mean, come on, it doesn't matter how many times you edit a photo on Instagram, like, look at how cute that little individual is. No, they're a sinner, right? Through and through, they're a little sinner. Parents who leave their children alone are bound to create monsters. But what happens if God leaves us alone? Right? Do you ever think of that? If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans. And I'd like to look at Romans... 1, starting in verse 22. It says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to a corruptible man and to the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up to their vile affections, for even their women did change natural use into which was against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust to one another or or to one toward another, Men with men, working that which is unseemingly and receiving in themselves that uh, recompense of their heir, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a uh, reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, 
um, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only to do the same, but to have pleasure in them that do them. Right? I think that list speaks for itself. Oh God, don't leave me alone. Right? Think about that. Think about what God has saved us from. We serve a God that loves us so much that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to die for us. We have salvation through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But it doesn't end there. His love didn't end there. He sent His Spirit and poured it out upon us to work in us and through us to not leave us like that. Right? Think about the person that you used to be. Right? I'm ashamed of the person that I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am here what I am today. And certainly I'm not satisfied and I'm so thankful that God is not going to leave me at the person that I am today. Because there's so many sides of me that are still ugly and sinful. But then think to the future, right? Think, to the, the, think, think with joy to the future of where God is actually going to take you to. And just be amazed at that, right? Just meditate upon that. It's an incredible thing. Look to the past, to the wretched sin that I was, and God saved me from my sin and did not leave me where I was. And He will not leave me where I currently am now. He will bring me through difficulty to refine me and conform me to be more like Christ. I may not, I may not always like it, and I definitely <clears throat> always won't be comfortable in it, but man, am I thankful that He does not, or that He loves me enough to not leave me how I am. Right, the famous quote by John Newton, the man that wrote Amazing Grace, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. <clears throat> but still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's look to verse 7. Verse 7. Even as it is meet for me <clears throat> to think of you this, to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. The people that God used Paul to save had a permanent impression on his heart, right? We've said so much. When Paul thought of the Philippians, it was with warmth and joy. What must tie Christians together is a passion and fellowship for the gospel, just as it did in Philippi just as important as it is that it does at Maple City today. But notice that this is an action-based fellowship, right? We are not just all members of a social club, right? Our, our, our uh, end-all, be-all is not to just come here week by week, sit on Sundays, and just kind of enjoy the fact that we get to see each other and talk to each other and really maybe enjoy some coffee and Timbits. But the reason that we actually come here week by week is that we would... Glorify Jesus Christ, right? That is the end. We ask, you should always ask, what is the why? Why am I doing this? What is the, the purpose of this? We come here week by week to be fed with the, the Word of God, to be in fellowship with one another, to be refined by one another to the glory of Jesus Christ. That is, that is the purpose, right? And it doesn't just end on, on Sundays, right? If we think about through the week, the reason that Pastor Rick and Pastor Dan dig so hard into the Word of God week by week is that we would be fed to the glory of Christ, right? The reason that we go from here and we really do our very best in the jobs that God, the vocations that God has placed us in, is to the glory of Jesus Christ, right? The reason that we're, this is hard for me to say, the reason that we're patient with our kids, because that's something that I really struggle with, um, 
The reason that we give grace when grace is, is needed, the, the, the reason that we um, maybe discipline when discipline is needed, the reason that we do everything is to the glory of Christ, right? It's an action-based fellowship. And when we, we think of each other side by side, shoulder to shoulder, doing that throughout the week, there is a much greater sense of fellowship than what the world can experience in a round of golf, right? The idea that we're all striving for one purpose, and that's to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. It provides a strength of fellowship that transcends worldly understanding. Pastor and Dan often speak to the beauty of the church, and Christian fellowship is a huge component of that. Right? I mean, think about it. It, it actually doesn't make sense. So I'm a 30-year-old male. Okay? The world would tell me that I am crazy to go spend some of my weeknights and all of most of my weekends with older people. Right? And I'm, I'm saying that bluntly, but it's, it's the truth. The world would think that that's crazy, right? Why are you doing that? Why are you not spending time with people that are of your age or younger than you because everybody's trying to get younger, right? Why would you not spend your time doing that, just really enjoying the time that you have and, and just living it the way you want to live? Well, the answer is, is we serve a God that, that has created this idea of, of Christian fellowship. And when I come here, I love spending time with older, mature believers because they can refine me in the faith, right? We can learn so much from them, right? Sometimes the older believers can, can learn something from, from the younger believers, and it works in this beautiful cycle to, to push us more into the image of Jesus Christ, right? It's an amazing thing that God has given us the church, and again, Christian fellowship is a big part of that. This is why in verse 8, Paul can express how much he deeply misses the Philippians with the affection of Christ Jesus. Right? Think about that statement. He misses them with the affection of Christ Jesus. Clearly, he feels very strongly about the believers in, in Philippi. Now, with that in mind, let's turn and look at the prayer that Paul has for the Philippian church in verses 9 to 11. And it's amazing how theologically um, dense a prayer can be in a mere three verses, but let's look to it right now. And I pray this, or sorry, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ." being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus or by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So what is Paul what is the first part here of Paul's prayer? And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. Growth, yeah, but 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 love. You know, you know what's interesting there is that there's actually no object to the love that Paul is talking about there. Isn't that interesting? Right? There's, there's no object to the love that Paul is talking about there. Um, he does not say that your love may abound more and more for one another. But this is really because Paul prayed that love would overflow up to God first and then really horizontally out to, to everyone. Right, The idea of, of Christian love, Paul doesn't want there to be bounds or limits on that. And that's, that's an important point to consider. Paul is passionate here that the Philippians would love God first and that it would just overflow and pour out uncontrollably to one another in the church. At the same time, Paul does not advocate for a love without shape or structure, right? The world does that and there's disastrous consequences to it, right? You see that everywhere. 
whether it be love of, of people, love of, of things, right, which has probably also infiltrated the, the church in a lot of ways. Um, the, the world is, is uncontrollably loving something, and it often brings disastrous consequences. Paul here brings love, unlimitless love, but with a structure. So let's look to the next part of this. So in verse um, 9, he says, love without limits. In verse 10, that you may, or sorry, end of verse 9, and I pray this, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And then he moves into verse 10, that you may approve that, or sorry, approve things that are excellent. Right? So Paul doesn't pray this without some sort of structure, but he prays that the Philippians' love would grow in knowledge and discernment. Right? Paul is serious about his disciples growing in knowledge and discernment. In fact, if you look elsewhere, and we'll just hit a couple examples in the Pauline epistles, Paul is consistently admonishing his disciples to increase in knowledge. Does someone want to look up Ephesians 1.17? And then somebody else, Colossians 1.9.10. Ephesians 1.17. Who would like to pastor? Okay. And then can somebody else take Colossians 1, 9, and 10? Effie? Thank you. All right, Pastor, you can, you can go with Ephesians 1, 17. If you're... That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Very good. Right? So this idea of actually growing in knowledge, in wisdom, uh, it doesn't mention it there, but, but discernment. Okay? Um, Effie, you want to read Colossians? Yes, please. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Very good, right? So the idea that increasing in knowledge is... Is important, right? Um, I think that that it's hard to find a, a balance in that area, but I think that there's a lot of churches out there where that's just not not something that is emphasized in any way, shape, or form, right? Maybe the, the word actually isn't emphasized quite as much, but actually spending time in it, growing in the knowledge of Him, um, reading really solid, great Christian books, right? Because that is something that that is very beneficial. The word should take precedence. But reading good, solid Christian books, and personally, I would push you towards older, good Christian books. I'm not saying that there's a lot of, of um, good stuff that comes out today because there are a lot of great Christian authors today. But you look to some of the, the uh, Christian authors of old, right? You look to some of the, the Puritan writings. Um, they're just so f- rich and so full. Um, and there's a number of, I think, reasons why that is, and we could, we could get into that. We're not going to do that this morning, but um, the, some of the writings of older are, are just beautiful. But it, it's important that we're increasing in, in knowledge. Um, Philemon 6 reads that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Right Again, this idea of acknowledging every good thing, building yourself in the knowledge, not just any knowledge, but the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ. Paul is constantly throughout the New Testament placing the idea of knowledge uh, in an important place. Um, Kent Hughes really um, eloquently sums this up, and, and, and this is kind of, a, I would say, maybe a, a reason why Paul places emphasis here. He says, We must understand that Christian love is never a matter of sentimentality. 
Christian love comes from a work of the Holy Spirit bringing revelation of Christ through the Word of God. The more you are in the Word, the more your knowledge of God and Christ will increase and the more your love will overflow. Right? We touched at it at the very beginning of this lesson. Right? The knowledge of Christ is so important and it's not important to just grow your head. Right? And just become uh, almost like arrogant of the knowledge that you possess in Jesus. But the purpose and the goal of growing in the knowledge of Christ is that it would just overflow in your, your, your deeds, right? Your service, your love toward one another. And it, it can't help but if, you, if you're really approaching well, I, it. I think that 1 Corinthians 8, you know, um, brings that out. When you talk about food offered to idols, but then he said, <clears throat> we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, so we don't want that kind of knowledge. Yeah. Um, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not know yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So he's, mm-hmm. he's tying this idea of love, um, um, keeping knowledge in its in its proper in its place. Yeah, good point, Paul. Yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Thanks for bringing that scripture. Knowledge, but you know, we get we gain all this. You know, like, mm-hmm. in other words, they knew that that. You know, it, idols were nothing, so yep. they knew that. But that yep. knowledge could could destroy love. Yes. So that knowledge was not a good. Yeah. Good yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, I saw this uh, this cartoon one time. It was a Christian cartoon, and it was the idea that um, I, I wish I could f- find it. That the uh, the person in this cartoon was just so puffed up in head knowledge that their head was so large that they actually couldn't like pick themselves up off the ground because they had grown so much in this head knowledge, like amazing knowledge of, of the Word, amazing knowledge of, of really the Christian life, and yet it was just geared in such a way that, that that's the, what the end goal was, was to increase in knowledge, and they actually couldn't go about serving because they literally could not pick their head up off the ground, right? That's an impo- it's, it's, fun, it's funny, but it's an important thing to think about, right? What is the end goal of me opening the Word of God every day? It's that I would increase the knowledge of God so that it would overflow in my service and love to others so that Jesus Christ may be glorified, right? That's the end goal, and that's important to keep it that way. In verse 10, Paul prays that believers would have the ability to discern or approve what is excellent. Let's look at it really quick. Verse 10. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. I love the practicality of this verse. Our life really is a series of choices, right? When we wake up every day from start to finish, we have a lot of decisions to make, a lot of little decisions to make. And when you uh, face yourself or when you find yourself actually facing one of those small little decisions, it may seem somewhat insignificant in the moment, but if you look at uh, your day, if you look at your week, if you look at your month, your year, if you look at multiple years of your life as a collective series of these, um, these small little decisions, all of a sudden these little decisions that you make compounded on top of another, they, they really mean a lot. They're really important. The decisions that we choose to make each day will shape the course of our lives. Now notice the location of this verse in our passage. 
The verse does not stand alone. It's not suggesting that we increase in knowledge and discernment in order to live our best life now, right? You hear that so often now. Live your best life now. You do you. Live your best life, right? It's, it's, it's funny, but in some small way, it, it drives me nuts because that's not what we're here for, right? We're here to live to the glory of Jesus Christ. But this verse and the location that it in, it's directly preceding Paul's instruction of why, that we may be ready for the day of Jesus Christ, right? Um, something that's always stuck with me in, in um, my Christian walk, and it was said by, by um, an, an older believer at my church a long, long time ago was, um, what are you actually going to be doing the moment that Christ returns? Right? And it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting thought. What are you going to be actually doing? Right? There is going to be a historical moment in time when Jesus Christ returns to this earth and everything changes. Right? And what are you actually going to be doing at that moment? Right? And now for some of us, we're, we may be doing something, something like we do every day, routine. We might be making breakfast. We might be kind of doing laundry. We might be changing diapers. We might be whatever it may be. Right? But the idea behind it is not maybe necessarily that single moment, but the idea that, that kind of like, that is overall of the entire thought is, what do I actually spend my time doing, right? Am I filling my time with, uh, in front of a screen for four to five hours a night, right? Because you actually, from a statistical standpoint, you start to look at that, it's like, okay, there's actually a pretty high percentage chance that when Christ returns, I'm going to be watching Netflix, right? <laughs> And really, in the grand scheme of things, you are saved by the blood of Christ. So when he returns, it's going to be a glorious moment. But the idea is, is being watchful, using your time with intention. What are you actually using your time doing here and now, right? Ken? I believe it's going to happen so quick, I ain't going to have time to think. Okay. 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 It's a good thought, Ken. It's a good thought. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> However, the point behind it is that we need to be intentional about what we are doing with our time. Right? Verse 10. They may approve of things that are excellent, that we may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Right? Now, things that are excellent, that goes everything from the more obvious decisions in our, in, in our day that it's Okay, I can choose to do a something that is very bad here, or I can choose to, to make the proper decision and to do something that is right, right? And in, in the grand scheme of things, there's decisions that are really obvious. But what Paul is saying here is, is growing to the knowledge of the point where even in the little things, having an understanding as you walk through your day in wisdom to choose which is excellent, right? Something as, as maybe insignificant as uh, one little moment when you're tired and you get home from work and your child does something that is is wrong, and you have a little choice to say, I'll just get it next time, or stop and provide the instruction and the discipline that, that you need to, right? Like, I, I know that that maybe not the, the best example, but in the, the grand scheme of your day, that's a, a tiny little thing. If it, it It's definitely in my house because I have to instruct and, and discipline so often, right? Sometimes it feels like it's endless, but it's a tiny little decision that you can make, and I can choose to do what is excellent, or I can choose to Maybe do something that is is less excellent, and the collection of those decisions are going to make a big impact in the grand scheme of things. Paul? Yeah, you know, in my life, I have all these grand, grand um, ideas mm-hmm. and goals, <clears throat> what I want to be. But ultimately, um, my little choices, you know, if they're, if they're 
off of those, which they are, mm -hmm. then then those goals don't mean anything. You know, mm -hmm. like said, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Yeah. You know, we don't think of that. Yeah. Think the vine's going to grow and oh well, it, you know, but it is. It's, it's a so great I point. Find that in my life, the little choices that I make. Yeah. Um, um, I can have all the the grandiose. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, but mm -hmm. if I yeah, that's right. Where do you place emphasis, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, you can you can choose to place emphasis in so many areas, right? Making money. Choose to place emphasis on nutrition, right? Nutrition is important, but to to place an idol there is is not good. You can choose to place emphasis in so many ways, but but choosing to place emphasis in the little decisions throughout your day to to pursue Christ that's a, a really really yeah practical good point. Effie? I just added that. It says, in the third offense, I think that as we grow in God, as we grow in fellowship with mm -hmm. one another, that we have to be careful not to be easily offended. Okay. You know, because, yeah. you know, if we're easily offended, first of all, we're full of God because we're yes. cheating. Yeah. And also, you know, nothing is worse. Uh, nothing is more divisive in mm -hmm. the church. And people take offense against yeah. one another. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's that's a really that's a really good thought. And I think too that that people looking from outside the church at the the character of who Christians are, that's a really that's a really important point, right? They're always bickering, you know. Yeah. Always, bickering, yeah. always grumbling, right? Yeah, why would I why would I want that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And as we go on Christ we learn to make better decisions so mm -hmm. people Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay, anybody else on that one? Anybody else on that one, verse 10? Okay. That's all the time I have here this morning, guys. That's all I, I have prepared. If anybody has another thought, we can certainly take it. But without that being said, I will pray, and then we will get to one of the main themes of the book of Philippians, which is fellowship. I think that's a good use of our little interlude here between now and the service. Um, let's go to Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opening passage of Philippians. We thank you that Paul was writing, uh, despite his circumstances, with such joy. Um, Lord, how much we can learn from just that lesson in the, the, the opening passages of, of, of Philippians. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's inside of it. We thank you that we can uh, look to it. And I, I pray that, as we spoke about today, that it wouldn't be truth that would just puff up our head knowledge but that it would be truth to cause us to just overflow and outpour in love and service to one another. I pray that when we think of Christian fellowship, when we think of the people that we do life with here, even if we don't necessarily maybe love spending time with that person, we are united with that person and these people with something that transcends anything that the world can understand, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we're brought close, we're brought close because we're striving for one goal. I pray that we would think of that often, Lord. Father, um, I pray that as we go from here today, that we would not forget what we hear, uh, but that we would meditate on it, think about it, uh, and put it into practice. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.